turn there to Matthew 6, reading verses 5 to 13. And this is one of two places within the Gospels where we find the Lord's Prayer given to us. And here in Matthew, it meets us as Jesus deals with the hypocrisy of prayer. Matthew 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And indeed, may God bless this word to us and may he prosper it in our hearts. I am aware that some of you using the ESV, that last line of the Lord's Prayer, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, is not there. And if you were to read in Luke's Gospel, there are portions of the Lord's Prayer that are missing in the English Standard Version as well. And it's due to the Reliance that they have upon specific manuscripts and texts from ancient history. Uh, I prefer them to be there, and that's why I prefer the New King James uh, Version, because uh, these are words of Scripture, and uh, the slight nuances that are there in one text to the next do bring uh, an understanding of the fullness of the Lord's Prayer to us. And so as we go through it, this will be the Lord's Prayer that we use to expound in our understanding of how to pray. So just uh, bear that in mind. And when it comes to praying, this evening we are looking at this uh, first line, what is known as the preface to the Lord's Prayer, and what it is to pray to the Father. We, we've already looked at various things concerning prayer the ordinance that's given to us that is, as I said before, our lifeline to God. That time of holy communion with our Father, whether it is as Jesus instructs here in the secret place or whether it is in the corporate setting as the Lord's Prayer brings us. Notice that Jesus says, even as he's teaching about praying in the secret place, having your own personal time of prayer, he says, pray like this, our Father. He doesn't say, my Father. 
He also understands that there is a pattern of prayer to be used both privately but also corporately. And we need to learn these things. Uh, We have considered thus far prayer in the name of Christ. The only way that our prayers are heard before God is when they are offered up in His name uh, and He presents them to the Father on our behalf. And praying in the Spirit and understanding that it is indeed the Spirit who moves and stirs our souls to cry out to the Lord. And as we heard last week, the who, what, and how of prayer. And, and noting that there is a, a way to pray that uh, engages uh, our whole uh, being and spirit. But now, I know these are nuanced words, but now we are looking at the way we pray. And in two different situations, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, as I noted here in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11. Here, Jesus is dealing with the hypocrisy of prayer and understanding indeed what the Father expects of us when we pray to Him. How we're not only not to be like the hypocrites who only stand and pray uh, in a certain way so that they can be heard, but we don't pray like the heathen. We don't pray like Muslims. Or dare I even say, we don't pray like Roman Catholics with the rosary and just repeating an unnecessary prayer to Mary over and over and over and over and over and over, however many beads there are. We're told not to do that because there's a vanity there that's not really asking for anything or seeking the help of God or in that sense really pouring out your heart to the Lord and finding the grace and the help that you need. In fact, even with the heathen, your mind is it not drawn to Mount Carmel and, and 1 Kings 18 and, and, and Elijah having to deal with the prophets of Baal who for hours danced up and down, cut themselves, and over and over and over again said the same vain words and they were never heard. That's not how we grab God's attention in prayer. And, and, and that vanity uh, we need to guard against. And, and when we come to dealing with the way we pray, we're, we're going to see, you can see the points, We're praying with confidence and with reverence and with others, for and with others. There's a reasonable, logical way, not that we want to make prayer formal. It is to be experiential, extemporaneous, but it does have order. And even the disciples, when you go to Luke 11 and you see there Jesus again teaching on prayer, He does it because His disciples see Jesus praying. And they recognize there's a difference here. They're watching their Lord plead with the Father. And if you want to just turn there just to see the uniqueness of it, in in Luke 11 verses 1 to 4, 
uh, Jesus praying in a certain place when He ceased, one of His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. It goes from the single to all of them. And they recognize there's a, there's a distinctiveness to Christ's prayer. And so then he brings out the Lord's Prayer again. But then he immediately tells a parable afterward. And that parable that follows in verses 5 to 8 is the parable of the, the friend who comes at, at midnight and, and who keeps asking his friend at midnight, lend me help. And, and he doesn't give up until his friend comes and opens the door and for his persistence receives what he needs. I, I think when you see that parable following the disciples' desire to, to learn to prayer, that they're seeing in Christ a real earnestness with the Father even though He is the Son of God in the flesh, in His humanity, He pleaded with the Father to do the work that He had been sent to do. That Jesus needed that help from God. And and, and here we see Christ again echoing the Lord's prayer to teach us how to pray. And so we understand the Lord's Prayer. It serves as a model for all our prayer. It's a form that shows us how we are to ask and to seek and to knock at the throne of grace. It can be a prayer itself. I know many of us as parents, we it's probably one of the first prayers we've taught our children. And they know it. They've memorized it. I hope you use the debtor's version. Uh, I, I know many like uh, forgive us our trespasses, but I hope as we go through this, you'll understand why debt and debtors is far more engaging than simply our sin. But we teach it to our children. And sometimes we echo it together at the end of a prayer time. But the, the, the greater import of this, of this prayer is how it outlines all our prayers to the Father. And how it, it shows us the priority of all of our concerns beginning first and foremost with God. And, and seeing and, and understanding that the glory of God is what is to be preeminent in all that we ask and all that we seek and all that we knock for. One minister said this about the Lord's Prayer. It contains every possible desire of the praying heart. A world of spiritual requirements divine promises, human need, and the concern that we are to have for the good of others. And, and Andrew Murray, some of you will know Andrew Murray and his book on prayer. And he speaks of the Lord's Prayer this way. He says, it is a model and inspiration for all prayer yet always draws us to the deepest utterances of our soul. 
for God's glory and His presence. And, and in those ways, we, we see Christ in a, in a marvelous wisdom saying, when you pray, say. And, and, and every line is a point of our prayer that is to be expanded upon. Uh, whether we are in our secret place or whether we are gathered together. And as we consider this prayer, we begin with the opening line. And if you take your bulletin on the back, there the larger catechism, sorry, open it up to the front, uh, um, to the inside page. And under the prayer section, you'll see the larger catechism, question number 189, deals with this preface to the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven. And it asks the question, what does the preface of the Lord's Prayer teach us? The preface of the Lord's Prayer contained in these words, Our Father, which art in heaven, teaches us that when we pray to draw near to God with confidence of His fatherly goodness and our interest therein, with reverence and all other childlike dispositions, heavenly affections, and due apprehensions of His sovereign power, majesty, and gracious condescension, as also to pray with and for others. And and it's a very big thing to learn that when we are praying to the Father, the first place we begin is with this preface, Our Father in Heaven. What does that teach you? Have you ever stopped to think what that means for us when we pray? And, and what it means for us is, is that we are first of all to be praying with confidence. You might add a lot of other adjectives were to be praying believing. Uh, how many of you pray with faith? I always think of that one story. I don't know if it's true or urban legend. But that one story of how long ago there was a great famine, uh, sorry, a, 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 a great drought, and, and the farms really needed rain, and, and so the people were called together to pray for rain, and all but one person uh, came with that uh, zeal to pray, but only one person came with an umbrella, believing that if we pray, it's going to happen. Well, we are told to pray believing. To pray with confidence. And, and again, I believe this is one of the challenges that we have in our hearts. When we say, I will pray for you. When someone tells us of a matter or an issue in their hearts. And, and we say, oh, I'll be praying for you. Is it with confidence? Do we immediately pray or forget to pray? Or even worse, in our prayers, doubt that God will do what we ask. You know, there's, there's a lot of challenges here. But when we hear these words, our Father in heaven, one of the very first things it speaks to us is of the confidence, the boldness, the believing, the trust that we are exercising when we come and we say, Our Father. It, it, it 
It removes that sense of vanity from our prayers. Like Jesus as He was instructing His disciples, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They're praying for personal self-glory and prestige. They want people to see how pious they are. I I don't want to be hypercritical here, but I always think it strange that the only time people speak King James often is when they pray. <laughs> and the these and the thys and the forthwiths and that come out. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's interesting, but we're not to have that pious nature that isn't of our own heart and self before God. We are to come with a knowledge, you're our Father. And, and you have already spoken to us about how you want to hear us pray. And with these words, what Jesus is, is saying to us, understand that your prayer to God is to flow from that intimate union you have with God as a father. He is not a stranger to you. He's not a stranger to your circumstances. That was the life of Christ in the Gospels. Every time, and there's just dozens of times when we hear Christ praying to the Father or just giving a doxology of praise to Him. Every time Jesus addressed God except for once on the cross, it was as Father. And we... When we pray, I do believe that that intimate title and that intimate relationship is to be there. I mean, it's not wrong to say, oh God, when we pray. But there is something that says we know who our God is and we say, Father, (laughs) hear us. And Jesus even commends this understanding after His resurrection you read in John 20 verse 17, when, when Mary met Christ in the garden and she falls at His feet and, and, and clings to Him, Jesus says to her, don't cling to Me, uh, for I have not yet ascended to My Father. But listen to what He says, but go to My brethren and say to them, I am ascending to My Father and your Father. And it's this knowledge that we are to have when we are coming to God. He is not simply that that God in all of His greatness that we can't comprehend. He has revealed Himself sufficiently to us and in and through Jesus Christ and opened that way through His Son so that we can come to Him and know He is our Father. And with that confidence, as as the catechism question says, what is it that we're confident about? That as our Father, He is good. (laughs) That we, we have that knowledge of the character of our God that doesn't just frame our praise, it comes and meets us in our prayers, in our thanksgiving, in our requests. In, in all that we need. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 105, enter into His gates with thanksgiving, for the Lord is good. And His mercy is everlasting. 
And then that's what we have confidence in when we look to God our Father. He is good. If you go further, and here's where really it meets us in our struggles. I prayed already about the kind of famine that is upon many nations and is certainly upon us here in Canada. And that whole issue of inflation and the increasing stress it's bringing upon people. And, and you, you see it in the news. People are scrambling to say, where are we going to get what we need to make our ends meet from month to month? Well, just turn the page in your Bible to Matthew uh, chapter 6 down to uh, verse 31. And here again, as an extension of what Jesus is saying to us about how we pray, our Father, what does He say here? Do not worry about what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. After all these things, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, the heathens, those who do not know God as Father, they seek these things. But what does He say there in verse 32? Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There's a confidence that we are to have that is there to guard us from the worry about the simple things of life. God in His promises has said, I will take care of you. Read Psalm 37. How many times He says, do not fret or be angry at the prosperity of the wicked. It's not just Psalm 73. Psalm 37 says the same thing. The meek will inherit the earth. God knows His own and will care for them. He will not see the righteous lacking bread. And so when we come to our Father, we realize He is a good God. He knows our needs. It's not wrong. And it's not saying you don't make that known. God, you know the stresses that are on our home with these needs. Help us. Come and meet us. But keep my heart seeking your kingdom, your righteousness. Calm my anxious heart. And that's what our Father does when we pray. It's a soul that knows and believes the Father is good. You go a little further to Matthew 7, and it comes out again, and here Jesus uh, is dealing with that whole issue of praying. And Matthew 7, verse 7, we know these words. Probably some of you could sing them from that old tune. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And then he He goes on to give an illustration of the lesser to the greater. What man among you, if his son were to ask you for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he was to ask you for a fish, he would give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? 
And you see, there's the, the, the power behind us in our confidence. It's knowing God. Knowing that He is good. Knowing that He knows our needs. And with these, these promises framing our confidence, they calm our souls and they compel our prayers to ask. You know, it, 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 we're not to be like that child who is afraid to go to his father because he's heard his father say time and time and time again, no, we can't afford it. No, you don't deserve it. No, I'm not giving it to you. Stop asking. Our God isn't like that. <laughs> Keep asking. I am good. And I know how to give good things. And in believing that the Father is good, I'm spending the most time on this phrase, our Father. We are also understanding that we are His beloved children. It's not just simply knowing our Father is good and knows how to give good gifts, but it's also understanding we're His beloved children. Does that ever warm your heart in prayer? That God is, is such a, a Father to me. But this is what we have received in Christ. You've heard it already a, a number of times in past sermons. But we have received from Christ that spirit of adoption where we are crying out, Abba, Father. And it's that, that realization, the Father loves me as a child. How amazing is that? And how important it is. Do you know when, when that comes out the most in Scripture, that understanding that the Spirit moves us to cry out, Abba, Father. Wherever that comes out in Scripture, most often it is in the times when we are suffering and experiencing great trials that the Spirit reminds us you're a beloved child of the Father. Cry out to Him. Or even more, when we are straying and prodigal in our life. And who is it that brings us to our senses and says, Go to your Father. Like the story of the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 18. What was the first thing he said when he was brought to his senses? I will go to my father and say. You see, that's how the Spirit works. And he comes to, to speak this confidence to you. Yes, in your troubles, in your sufferings, in your afflictions, in your sorrows, in, in those times when you just really don't even know how to pray, the Spirit says, cry out. You're a beloved child of the Father. And He will hear you. So pray with confidence. That's what those two words speak to and address with us in the Lord's Prayer. Pray with confidence and ask the Father and He will give good gifts to you. But you also pray with reverence. And that meets us in those words, our Father in heaven. And it's not just a reverence that, 
makes us shy away or makes us think, oh, well, then I have to make my prayers sound intelligent and, and reasonable. It's a reverence that gains a real sense of where we are when we pray. Our Father in heaven. In, in, in those words, what we are realizing, it's, it's what Scripture tells us, that we are now in the presence of our Father who is in heaven. And that coming to Him in Christ, there is within our souls this spiritual lifting up to where God is. It's not mystical in a sense. It's, it's one of those things that, that the Spirit effects in that union with Christ where we are seated around the throne of grace. The Spirit brings our souls there. And, and why that is good to know and why that is good to think on is that it guards your mood in prayer. I, I have heard Christians say, say it like this, I was so angry with God that I just spoke how angry I was with Him. And I remember a scene from a Ligonier conference when someone posited the question, how should one pray when he is angry with God? Or some, It was something along that line. And, and R.C. Sproul in his own manner just looked up and, and said, what is wrong with you people? That's where that came from. How can you be angry with God? But in our hearts, I've seen it and I've observed Christians who, because they have prayed to God in a, for very specific things and those things haven't been granted in the ways that they wanted, that they have become frustrated, even angry with God, and, and, and they have this mood before Him that He didn't do what I asked. And we are here in, in this preface being reminded, where is our God? He is in heaven. We come to Him, yes, with a childlike disposition, but we come to Him with a reverence of knowing He's in heaven. And what does Psalm 115 say about that? He is in heaven doing as He pleases. It's a hard thing for us to, to revere God in that way. I always think of Job in respect of that, how he had to learn that reverence. He started out well in his sufferings. He, in all of his sufferings, sat down in ashes and sackcloth and he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be His name. But then he comes to a point where he says, I should never have been born. He had to learn that God was using him in His sufferings for a mighty way. He's in heaven administering sovereignly with power and authority and with purpose glory to who He is as our God. He is ministering in such a way that we can't always fathom. And so, 
when we realize our Father in heaven is doing as He pleases, it guards our mood. It's like Isaiah 64, 8 says, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of Your hand. Sometimes that work can be very difficult. But we are approaching a God who has promised to bring to us the goodness we need to endure to His glory. We have a sovereign God who is able, and this is the marvelous thing, to hear it again, He is able to give us the sufficient grace that we need, the power of Christ to rest upon us, so that in our trials, in our sufferings, in our problems and difficulties, we can stand strong in the Lord and rejoice in our God. And the world will look at that and say, what kind of person are you that can take this with a grain of salt? Well, we're not taking it with a grain of salt. We're taking it in the wisdom, sovereignty, power, majesty of a God who gives me strength. That kind of reverence guards us. We are poor and needy. But we have a God in heaven whose affection is for us in a deep and eternal way and who is able to carry us and whose mercies are promised to meet us however those mercies appear. Pray with reverence. And also, and last, as the Catechism says, to pray with and for others. As you notice, the Lord's Prayer begins with that pronoun. Our. Our Father. In fact, if you notice the Lord's Prayer, it does not utilize the first person singular, me, myself, and I. It utilizes the first person plural. Our. We. Us. When we are praying... It isn't just for ourselves. It is with and for others. We are, in fact, many of the prayers and many of the accounts of praying are corporate gatherings. Coming together for prayer is as vital as going into your closet. And whether you are in your closet or together, You are not just simply praying with others. You are praying for others. And you're mindful in all of your prayers when you pray, God, provide for me. You are to be praying, God, provide for these, my brothers and sisters, and these who need to know that You are the God who sovereignly works over all of creation. And when we pray, Father, forgive me, we are to be praying, Father, forgive me and forgive others. And and as You have forgiven me, help me to forgive others. And we are not simply self-focused in our prayers. 
Even when it comes to our sufferings and our trials, Father, enable this to be a time of blessing and sanctifying me. And through this, enable it to be a time of blessing and sanctifying others that they will know the power of God is upon me. That You are with me. And when we pray, Lord, deliver us from the evil one. It's not just me, but we, we see, and it's not hard to see, we live in a city that is under that power of the evil one. How often are we praying, Lord, deliver this city. Deliver these people who are blinded by Satan. Deliver others, even as You have delivered me. It, it draws us into that connection and communion with one another when we pray. And so these words are not just the beginning of our prayers, any of our prayers. To say our Father in heaven is to come to God in confidence, with reverence, and for the sake of others as well. And this, my friends, is where all prayers begin. It begins with God who is in heaven. May we experience that joy of communion with our God in those heavenly places. Let's pray.